Hey guys, I hope you enjoy this installment of the On the Line podcast with Pastor Brian Stecker. I recorded with him and had an awesome time hanging out with him. What we're going to do is break up that long form into the kind of bits that we usually use here about an hour on Brief History of Power. But I will put a link in the show notes to the full thing if you just want to go watch it yourself. And you should definitely check out the upcoming episodes. You can see what he's what he's doing and and what he's getting going and and who he's going to have on. It looks like a lot of fun and is even more Joe Rogan style than we are being both video and very long form. So if if you're into that, please go check him out. Great guy and a, a great thing that they're doing there at Trinity Waconia, Minnesota. So take a listen and I hope you enjoy three hours. This will be one installment of it of secularism and the martyrs. Yeah, we we had, um, it was a uh, district I was in previously, but I remember we had, this this guy did this on a couple occasions. But one point we had this like real articulate apologist come in. He was Mm -hmm. from, um, he was from a big city and he came over and and he gave this like really good lecture. This guy stood up at the end and he's like, He's like, well, I've always said you. I can summarize the Bible in four words: we we sin and God saves, and like it completely undermined the whole point where this guy was talking about like knowing your stuff, knowing yeah. like what is creation, <laughs> like what is proper order, what is what is the good, uh-huh. the true, and the beautiful, and all these yeah. things, and he completely missed the point. He's like, I can summarize the book, the entire Bible in four words. It's like, well, if God could have done it in four words, he would have done it in four words, but he did it in a lot more than that. So, sixty six like, books. Yeah, but it's it's that kind of notion that. Let me let me go get you know. Let me go spend you know eight hours a week studying my biology class. Yeah, and let me just memorize those four words for Christianity. It's like if you take Christianity this seriously and think it's this deep, right? And then your just biology course yeah, is a exactly. hundredfold more serious. That's right. Which one's the college kid going to take more seriously? Yeah, say, that was that was fun going to VBS when I was a kid, but like now I've moved on to serious business. I got to go <laughs> save the world, you know, by being an engineer. Right. Exactly. And it's, yeah. Yeah. So it's. That that is inarticulate, and the answer that we give to people is, we just don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about why it happens, and that the more deeply you are indoctrinated at anything, especially when you're a kid, the more likely you're going to retain it when you're older. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm free to not care about what's happening with the NFL. I don't. But if somebody was ever like, "Are you a Baltimore Ravens fan?" I'd be like, "No." <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Because it's deeply ingrained, right? And that's just the way human beings are. That's an observation about nature, not just about indoctrination into Christianity. I think the other thing that I hear a lot that is fairly articulate, and this is more perhaps especially a part of the clergy, is not mystification. They've been complaining about parents not being involved enough in confirmation students forever. I mean, that's like perennial. Mm-hmm. But is that the clergy feel hopeless about the task before them. And part of that is a certain mourning or confusion over what was lost, that the job used to be fundamentally different, that even though we didn't have a state church system in the United States, we had the same practically captive population that a state church situation presumes. And in a state church situation, you don't have to worry or think like a church planter where you're like, where is all of this going to come from, mm-hmm. right? There's going to be money. There's going to be a building. There's going to be some amount of people unless you just completely just blow everything up. So your job is to have a good sermon and conduct the service in a good way and teach a good Bible class and make your visits and stuff like that. And all of that is still true. But if it's so much easier to fall away, like, and in fact, it's socially and perhaps financially advantageous to your people to fall away, you're finding the people and then teaching them the things that they need to know and inspiring them to commit to this organization that is increasingly socially marginalized all requires more from you. Mm -hmm. And either the confusion about what you even lies before you, as well as frustration at attempting something you've never had to do before. What, yeah. So, so what do you think of, I think Chesterton puts it this way. He's like every, you know, there's been so many times where they've kind of padded down the dirt where they finally buried Christianity and like yeah. it pops up somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, just, yeah. It's, 
I think he's got this chapter, the five deaths of uh, Christianity. <laughs> yeah, he says right, they always right. think it dies. They thought it was part of the Roman Empire and then Rome died and Christianity survived. And then yeah. they thought it was, you know, part of the medieval age and the medieval age died and Christianity right. continued. And then he also says that anytime there, there's this kind of death and revival resurrection, it's always kind of this this younger generation that all of a sudden like explodes out of nowhere. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you sense that any of that, of course it could happen, but yeah. are you optimistic one thing I notice about we're both in our thirties, yeah, is everything you're talking about is not a surprise to us because we we grew up in it. We watched all of our Correct. friends kind of walk away from it. Yeah, we were right. probably tempted to walk away from yeah. it. You kind of came into it, yeah. But we, we, there's no assumption from us that like everyone's just Christian, Christian. Like we know that it's it's a full blown battle and it's yeah. it's a philosophical battle. It's a economic battle and yeah. the way you run your family kind of battle right. and like it it's there's a battlefield where all aspects of life meet and that's where christianity is holding its ground right so that inarticulate thing that i just described in the clergy is the cause of great and and very often expressed hopelessness and sadness on the part of the church even publicly, right? So this is mm -hmm. not just people privately saying, I don't know what happened. This is people saying like, I don't know, it's gonna be really bad. Like, I'm glad I'm gonna be retired by then. Okay, that is something that I think you just have to be prepared for a lot of things that seemed like they were always gonna be here to die. Mm -hmm. I don't presume that unless I do something about it, what we would describe as confessional Lutheranism is still going to exist in the United States in 50 years. Mm -hmm. Because all of those forms of rebirth throughout church history, yes, I'm, I'm not just optimistic, I'm certain that the spread of the gospel will prevail. It prevails in Acts despite lots of other conditions and vastly fewer resources than we have today. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm not worried about that, okay? My concern, and I think the stewardship that we have, is that we want what we have actually to exist. And unless we put forth some kind of effort, it won't, and it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Previous generations put forth effort, either to establish it or to perpetuate it. If effort is not put forth, if you just want to say like, well, I don't know what's going on, or it's too crazy for me, or we sinned, God, you know, God saves, whatever, then just be prepared to go away, mm -hmm. you know? Because from my vantage point, obviously plenty has already gone away. Mm -hmm. Plenty that existed like 20 years ago, let alone 50, right? So if it can go away quickly, then obviously things that I think are always gonna be there could also go away. Mm -hmm. So what kind of things do you think that you, me, yeah. the church in general, Christians, what are some of the, like, the top things that you think we need to be doing? Number one, we have to talk about the things that actually are occurring. So if we don't talk about the being checked out on your phone, or we don't talk about the family dynamic stuff, it doesn't make it go away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I would just say, generally, we usually don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And that, that relates to the revolt against nature generally comes home to us in what has been portrayed as the battle of the sexes. Sometimes this gets discussed ideologically as feminism, but I find those kinds of things often sort of useless if that individual person doesn't, isn't like, I'm a feminist. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, fine, then I will talk to you about a movement or an ideology. What I'm more interested in is like the way that you and your husband interact. Mm -hmm. If that never gets discussed in a sermon or a Bible class or anything like that, then guess what? It'll still be there and someone else will instruct them about how that dynamic is supposed to operate. So you have to talk about the things that actually exist. How would you speak about that, you know, let's say in a sermon or a Bible a study, you know, maybe a sermon, so you're talking to a wider yeah. audience. How would you go about talking about the family dynamics, what yeah. a role of a husband is, role of a wife is? Yeah, I would say that you have to bring up a principle for testing truth that Jesus brings up in the Sermon on the Mount, which is that, practice always shows you more than words, right? Or John talks this way in his first letter when he talks about, let us not love in word and in talk, but in deed and in truth. So in order to apply that principle to the family, I wanna say, I mean, it depends on the text. If the text is more 
like from an epistle, epistles are usually laying down principles. If it's from a story, I can use the dynamics of the story. For example, like you have a really weird family dynamic where Ahab wants Naboth's vineyard and goes and complains to Jezebel and Jezebel handles the problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. So whatever the text is, I can bring in that Bible story or I can bring in those family dynamics and say, you know, you need to you need to think about what you're actually saying to each other and how you relate to each other, what kind of body language you're using when you do that and whether that person has your full attention. Because part of the reason that you've been given different verbs in Ephesians 5 mm -hmm. is because you need different things from each other. Love and respect. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. The man doesn't need to know that he is unconditionally loved and then break down crying when I say that to him. Mm -hmm. He needs to feel that he's worthwhile. Mm -hmm. The woman needs different things. If I either don't talk about that or I talk about it and I kind of talk about the man and the woman like they're interchangeable, like they both have the same responsibilities and need the same things, then the people will rightfully tune me out when I talk about stuff like that. So... This is also the church being willing to discuss in its sermons and in its teaching things that are occurring today rather than simply like, okay, it's Reformation Sunday. We hate the Pope. You know, like, cool. <laughs> Guess who else yeah. hates the Pope? Like most Roman Catholics who go to Mass every Sunday yeah. at this point, right? <laughs> so that's fine. Like, great. We hate the Pope too. Let's bring the Catholics in. It's going to be so cozy. We all hate the Pope together. I need to talk about the stuff that is occurring in these people's lives. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, assume, I don't I don't think pastors ever should have assumed this, but I think this was part of our cultural condition of assuming Christianity would always be here. I don't assume that the people need to listen to me. So I need to work very hard at presenting the truths of the scripture very clearly and in a coherent, flowing way because I'm competing with Netflix and I'm competing with everything else on their phone for their hearts. Mm -hmm. So I wanna do my absolute best because that's what they deserve. And you know who knows that is like Disney and Pixar mm -hmm. and, and, and every, every other production studio knows that getting your material into somebody's heart deserves the best. So I need to give the best and I need to be pertinent. And that doesn't mean, relevant doesn't mean that you are watering it down to the lowest common denominator. That's very often, like if you see a church called relevant church, like run the other way, mm -hmm. they're not going to teach you the truths of scripture. They're going to teach you a couple things and then leave you there. Yeah. Relevant means here are the things actually going on in the lives of God's people. Here's how God's word applies to that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, for that task the church needs to just get over the fact that it has lost so much. Mm -hmm. Just accept you got pushed. You're like the Union Army at the end of day one of Gettysburg. You already lost the town of Gettysburg. So now you need to figure out how you're going to win this battle because mm -hmm. you already lost a bunch of stuff and they're already in the north. So just get over it and now start from there. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. What else? In addition to talking about things that are actually happening, you also need an attitude that understands the meaning of the ascension. So if I think that we neglect the incarnation in our preaching, I think we also neglect the ascension, particularly in the way that we think about missions. And this is something I'm going to be talking to the pastors about on Monday and Tuesday, is that you have to, you have to realize that when Jesus wants to really get things going, he ascends into heaven. Because we're thinking sort of like an army that is going down to defeat, and he is currently reigning over everything. So the fact of his session at the Father's right hand is a fact concerning his control. So I don't have to feel like a secular person that things are under my control or they're not, and I need to seize control. Right? Think about just the, the meaning of the term secular. It has to do with the Latin word seculum, which is sometimes translated world, but it really means an age. Hmm. A secular person is theologically somebody who believes and lives only for this age. 
that's their problem, right? It's like what Jesus refers to in the gospels as the sons of this age, which will pass away, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's why what they love is revealed as trivial at best and at worst is revealed as deceptive and idolatrous. If I understand that he is ruling over this age and the life of the world to come, then that should engender a certain fearlessness in my heart, mm -hmm. right? And I think that this gets summed up when Paul talks about, he asks for the prayers of the church and says, that I may speak boldly as I ought, or it says in other places, with boldness. Now the word there is, strictly speaking, parecia is the word for the way that a citizen speaks. Hmm. Okay, because in an ancient Greek assembly, the citizen is allowed to come in and he can just say whatever. Whereas the guy who is a resident alien, he's a foreigner, he's a you know merchant from another city, he's there to sell stuff in Athens. He can't just get up and talk. The citizen can get up and talk because he has no fear. Mm -hmm. He's not gonna be punished. This is one of the most basic versions of free speech. Yeah. He's not gonna be punished for saying what's true. Okay, so in the world, the church and particularly her preachers need to act like they are citizens in this sense that their king is reigning so you don't have to worry when you say what he wants you to say mm -hmm. if you're a herald of the king then you just say the things that the king says yeah it's like it's not that hard do you find that people overthink that oh totally yeah you know i mean our people are very worried about, and I don't, I don't like to guilt people with uh, kind of, I think it's kind of like the Protestant version of monasticism is this obsession <laughs> with evangelism, you know, all yeah. the time. Like, yeah. why don't you, why don't you awkwardly tell the waitress that Jesus loves her as you, you know, don't actually give her a decent tip and act like a normal human to her or whatever, yeah. you know, so it, 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 it is, th it's, it's the modern form of the Christian life. Like, yeah. Like fasting or asceticism or you know, devotions with your family, like yeah. all of those kind of things. Yeah, that like, all we don't goes need to talk away. about that because that's works righteousness. But, but write a letter to your waitress. The stuff that's actually sort of like spiritual maintenance, like mm -hmm. do you clean your gutters and cut your grass and fix hinges when they start, you know, slipping a little bit? We neglect that stuff and we replace it with, are you on the lookout for a brand new house? You know, sometimes, yeah, you're going to make a really great real estate investment and that's going to be really good for you in the future, but you need to fix the hinges and cut the grass and clean the gutters. Mm -hmm. So a lot of your life is not going to be telling people outside of your family or your friend group about Christ, even though that's going to be part of it. And with your children, it's completely not optional. Mm -hmm. Okay what seems like maintenance or like boring, like you learn to control your appetites or you learn to pray in a regular way or you learn to pray with your family, that's all, you gotta do that first. Mm -hmm. And then you will be much stronger for whatever other purposes, even evangelistic purposes God has for you. But I think that, I think that acceptance of this is where we are also involves the church reassessing what is actually working and what is not? And for that, you have to be, and sometimes there have been people that, there have been people that told me that when I was in college, you should either work on Wall Street or you should be a lawyer. And what I did with that was I didn't work on Wall Street and I wasn't a lawyer, but I try to apply the same energy mm -hmm. to the problems of the church that if I were trying to make a ton of money, everybody would be like, oh yeah, obviously like, he like he just go he's like you know he's going 24/7 on this because because he's trying to make a ton of money like no i don't work for a hedge fund and i don't live in connecticut but you know like i think this is more important yeah but the thing about those guys that i do enjoy and i still will dabble in those things and i particularly really there's a podcast i really like called masters in business because this guy just interviews all of these complete you know psychos like has devoted his entire life to shorting industries in you know the United States of America, which has been a good bet for like 45 years, right? Mm -hmm. What I like about them is they're focused. Yeah. They act like what they're doing matters. Yeah. In order to do that, they all have to be brutally honest also about themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's not an insult when you say, what you're doing is horrible. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. If it matters, D1 football coaches talk like that. Hedge fund managers talk like that. I wish that at least the pastors among themselves could talk more like that. Mm-hmm. Instead of being hopeless, we could just say, what I've been doing is horrible, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Not that like a D1 coach that goes one in 10, you're going to get fired now. But what are you going to do to do it better next time? I mean, like, why can't we talk that way? So I think a big hindrance is that the church behaves with the things that God has given it in a way that doesn't reflect its importance. Mm-hmm. And we often talk that way about the, like, about the service, about the liturgy, that if you actually believe Christ is physically present, you will behave in a reverent way, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's true. Yeah. But that also applies to how the church handles the money that people have given to it, how the pastor handles the gifts of speaking or teaching or counseling or caring that God has given him, that you want to behave. I mean, you don't have to wake up at 4 a.m. to get into Manhattan to get on your Bloomberg terminal, right? You don't have to keep the same schedule that that guy does. But why are the sons of this age so diligent Mm -hmm. with things that go away with this age Mm -hmm. that are passing away? And with the things of the life eternal, we're like, I don't know. Nobody likes it. Nobody. I mean, like, what is complaining going to do? Yeah. Once again, does it go back to, I mean, just people kind of accept Christianity as like, well, this is, this is good for me, but it's not really what it claims to be, right? It's not really about heaven and hell and all that is good, be- yeah. good true, and beautiful yeah. and the antithesis of yeah. that, right? Because yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, there's, there's certainly moments or, or times as, you know, from a pastor mm-hmm. or just in your Christian life where that becomes very secondary, the trivial stuff kind of takes place. Yeah. And then there's other moments where you start to look, and this is certainly what brought brought me into wanting to be a pastor. Was yeah. I looked, and I just it was just became striking all of a sudden. Of there's very opposite philosophies that I'm watching take place within the people that I hang out with. Yeah, and it just seemed like one was very healthy, and one was was yeah. I mean, just yeah, yeah, completely yeah, yeah. poisonous. Right. And if that's true, mm-hmm. then that battlefield is a fight worth fighting for. Totally. And similar to you, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't looking at necessarily Wall Street, but mm-hmm. what drew me away from my previous profession was I said, I want something like Lord of the Rings. Like I want to be at the Black Gate. Like I want to fight, have a battle worth fighting for. I, I hate, I absolutely despise and cannot stand when people treat Christianity like it's funny. Mm-hmm. And, and when a sermon is largely a string of jokes, somewhat yeah. connected by Bible passages. And it's not because I don't have a sense of humor. In fact, unfortunately, I think almost everything is funny. Mm-hmm. And that's my problem. That's a character defect. The reason I don't like it is because not only it's not true, but why do you think anybody would want to be a Christian if going to church is sort of a joke with some guy saying weird stuff and sort of made up stories about little boys going fishing with their grandpa or something. And that's the substance of the sermon. Who cares? About, why do you want anybody to care about that? And what what, what Lutheran pastor or what pastor is a good enough comedian yeah. for that to be worth your time? Well, we're like, not, go on Netflix. Like, like, if yeah, that's right. what you're looking yeah, for, right, don't exactly. come to church. I know. Like, I if know. you're coming to church, you've got to look for, like, these are the battle plans for the battle that you've been called to. Like, these are your instructions. And I want to honor that in God's people because the fact that they are in church at all in 2023 is not something that that I, like, look at them and I'm like, you know, you, you know, you guys, you know, whatever, you're going to be here, who cares? I'm angry at you. You know, like, a lot of things that Sometimes guys will say, well, I don't, I don't want my sons to be pastors because I've had too many rough meetings, you know, or like I've been mistreated by churches. Guess who else gets mistreated? The plumber and the guy that works in corporate that's not going to get promoted because of those scores that you talked about. Okay. Everybody's life is hard. Mm-hmm. Okay. The reason that you want to be a pastor, the reason that I want my sons to be pastors is because I never wake up and think to myself, is this worthwhile? Why would you want an easy life? I, yeah. Well, what what good is that going to do you? Yeah. It's just going to be an illusion. Yeah. And your point, it's, yeah, that we talked earlier, like, I appreciate that I had a background before entering yeah. into ministry that yeah, was totally. business related and whatnot. Yeah. Because I've got good buddies who are accountants. And yeah. I know, like, I talk to them when they have an 84-hour work week. 
on average yeah, throughout right. tax season. Yeah. And then, you know, I might go to, a, you know, I might talk to other pastors that are belly aching because they had, they got a, a hospital call. How I many times? To, like three yeah. times in a year. Like, give me a break. I've never worked yeah. 84 hours a week yeah. over the course of three months. Well, you must be a bad pastor. I'm sorry. Right, right. But <laughs> it's like life is tough. Yes, it is. Everyone works yes. hard. If you're a pastor or if you're a Christian. Right. Yeah, you've got to have a steel chin to some degree. Yeah. Everyone does. Right. The question is, the battles that you have to fight, are they worthwhile fighting? Right. And as a Christian, you have to say yes and thank God that I get to fight them. Yeah. Because if not, I'm going to fight mundane battles over trivial things. Yes. I will I will fight, you know, my soon-to-be ex-wife for custody of a family. No one told us how to do anything to help or to preserve because my pastor was busy telling jokes. I mean, mm -hmm. you don't you don't want that for anybody. So I want to honor the fact that they're in church at all in 2023 by giving them the absolute best. I mean, there, there's no, and it, that doesn't mean that you are the best or I am the best, but I am giving my best because what other fight is worth being spent for? Mm -hmm. I mean, I want to leave it all out there on the field because I know that's worthwhile. I don't wake up and think like, boy, I, you know, today I have to proclaim God's word to this family that hasn't darkened the door of a church in a million years, but their relative is dying. You know, like I never think like, boy, is this really a good thing to do? Like it's, it's so clear, mm -hmm. right? And that was always part of the attraction of both the church, but also the ministry for me is that the clarity of it is invigorating because what is happening when you don't have a knowledge of God is that everything is obscure, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Paul talks about this with the conscience in Romans 1, like the guy goes back and forth. Sometimes he's like, that was the best decision I ever made. And other times he's like, that's the worst decision I ever made. And the reason he's going back and forth is because he doesn't know God's truth. So once you know God's truth and you have clarity, you're not going back and forth all the time. Mm -hmm. Life's hard, but you're not going back and forth on it. And it becomes less stressful. Totally. Because you're just, like you said, you're not double-minded, right. you're single-minded. Yeah. And I forget who it was. It was someone describing a saint and they said a saint's life is about, the uh, the defining factor of a saint is a saint's life is about one thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. And which is so true because <laughs> yeah. where does the anxiety kick in where it's like, well, I want to like, like, I want to serve God, but like also like I want to serve manna yeah. or man, I want yeah. money and, you know, I want all these things. And you sit there and like, well, what do I do? To right. Whereas like if my job is to be a good Christian and that's what my life is about. Yeah. That's going to inform how I am as a father. It's going to inform how I am as whatever my vocation is. Right. And everything just becomes centralized. And it doesn't mean that it's easy, but it means to some degree, it's much more simple. Yeah. Simple is not the same thing as easy. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Right. But simple generally means that it's actually going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. Right that when it's complex and when you are pulled in a million different directions, which is part of the, that's always behind when the person says busy, busy, busy is distraction, confusion, conflict, tension, maybe even expressed like in their body by all the things going on is that their life is full of complexity. And the reason that nature is something you can appeal to is because we're not, we're not actually built to be complex. The reason the guy that, didn't go to enough school, gets it in a way that the guy who probably went to too much school doesn't is because things that you need to know generally are not that complex, mm -hmm. right? Pastors know this because if you actually know what you're doing, you can explain something that was presented maybe to you when you were taught it in seminary as complex in a simple way. That's mm -hmm. like the mark of a good teacher. Yeah, without watering it down. <laughs> without watering it down, you can be like divine nature, human nature, here's why, mm -hmm. right? You can do that because you actually know your stuff. So when you know your stuff, it's gonna be simple. It's not gonna be easy, but mm -hmm. it's gonna be simple. Yeah. Yeah. So for Christians listening who are who are not pastors, you know, who are mothers, fathers, maybe grandparents yeah. or stuff, mm -hmm. what are things that they can do today as they look and especially like i think the grandparents especially they're looking they're they're in that boat that you talked about where they're looking and saying what happened they're yeah. mystified yeah what are things that they can tangibly do with the time that is given to them in order to help the church help their children and grandchildren at this time what are what are things that they can do okay time is a gift people are the priority you don't get people back you don't get time with them back 
And then God's word is the means. So number one, realize time is a gift and start to rearrange your own schedule consciously because you've been probably driven by distraction into a lot of unconscious spending of time. Begin to think of your time consciously as God's gift rather than as owed to all the different claims that are made on your time. And sometimes that gets very concrete as I had to get a different kind of phone or I had to get a different kind of job, but it's going to be worth it and you're not going to regret it. What are, what are some tangible things that you find that grow up in people's lives that are kind of chief distractions? I would say that, I mean, I, th I think tech is the absolute biggest one for everybody of every age. So I love to kind of turn it on its head and when somebody who's like 70 is checked out on their phone, I'll just be like this generation and their phones, you know, <laughs> yeah. because we, we obviously like we go straight there with somebody who's a digital native. I feel disgusting. I just used that phrase, but a digital native, you know, is, is always on their phone. They're always checked out. They're terminally online. Okay, fine. But it's, it's a problem for everybody. So the absolute most tangible one and people notice their brains changing how they process information, what they notice as soon as that's just something that they use kind of the way they used to use the old like phone on the wall mm -hmm. where only when they need to find something by calling or take something in by receiving a call, do they use it? If that's a physical separation, if that's you get a dumb phone and now you use your computer for email, whatever. But that's generally the most powerful one for people today. What do you do with that? I use it as time that otherwise would be empty. So I use it if I'm waiting for something, I will check email then. But on a day-to-day on a -day basis where all my time is conscious, I just use it as a work tool. Mm -hmm. I'll get the comment. I'm not great, but I'm also not bad with my phone. I'm kind of mm -hmm. in the middle. We've, I've sure. made some conscious decisions in the past yeah. that have made me better. Yeah, sure. But one comment I'll get a lot is, you're like, man, you're terrible with your phone, right? Because someone will text and I'll get back to them like two days later. And I was, I take that as a compliment. I'm like, good, because like I had other things going on. Like yeah, I was with right. my family and I was right. like, you know, I had these appointments and all this kind of stuff. And th this is something that's been, it's been going on for a long time. If it makes anybody feel better, they complained about this when the telegraph happened. Guys started saying, I'm getting business telegrams during family dinner and I'm never, I can never rest mm -hmm. anymore. So it's not a magical function of silicon chips. It's a function of time. Mm -hmm. So you just have to be very aggressive about scheduling your time so that your time is occupied by things that are actually beneficial and sustainable rather than not. Mm -hmm. And usually that starts with tech. With some people, it's going to start with scheduling time to get to know your family again, which is an alienation that has been caused by tech. But I, I think that once the tech stuff happens, the capacity to understand where else to go from there follows with it. If you're a father, let's say you're a father, you've got, you know, three kids, yeah. 10 down, something yeah. like that. And maybe you, 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 there's a chance you've drifted away from most of those past 10 years to some yeah. degree. Yeah. And you want to kind of click that restart button and yeah. start to repair your family. Yeah. How would you go about doing that and like re, reopening up those lines of communication, reopening up that trust with your family? Yeah. The family has to exist as the primary unit in each member's life. And that's really hard because if the kid doesn't have a smartphone, which he shouldn't, then his time probably is already overscheduled because that's the easiest thing to do. Hmm. That's the simplest, that's increasingly the most normal thing is that the kid is way overbooked, which is just historically speaking, insanely abnormal. Mm -hmm. When you're a kid, Generally, you have nothing going on. That's how you have time to come up with all the things that kids come up with, good and bad. It's because you're not overbooked. Now you got to go here, you got to go there, you got to go everywhere. That process of rearrangement is both very worthwhile for people, but also often very painful. And I just want to be clear about that. Like, I'm saying it's going to be amazing for your family. I'm not saying it's going to be easy for your family because if you've been accustomed, let's say, for you got married 12 years ago, and in the past decade, you've had three kids. Autopilot for you as a modern American has been just whatever is going to suck up time. That's a thing that you lose more of all the time. So 
changing that is going to be radically different. I mean, look what happened in 2020 when people were given all kinds of time back because a lot of things and even like entire swaths of companies were revealed as somewhat unnecessary, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, it's later on when Musk took over the company formerly known as Twitter. Yeah, I refuse to say X. When that happened, he fired like some absurd percentage of the company Mm -hmm. and the platform worked better. So once we all realized what we didn't really need to be doing, look at all the different things people started doing, like national parks became overbooked. All these people started homeschooling. Some people were like, what if I just drove around in a van around the country? You know, like Mm -hmm. people's minds opened up when they were given time back. So it's gonna be a radical change in your family. I would say that positively speaking, things that you need, if, if time is God's gift, then then people are a priority is that the family doesn't exist and doesn't need to justify itself relative to anything outside itself except God because it's his institution. So God's word is going to be the means for changing the family and making that that change to a family that is reflecting his order, his priorities, his blessings within that family. As that happens, yeah, that's going to be painful. All repentance is painful. Repentance is the same thing as working out. It's of infinite value, and you never want to do it before you go. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's fine. It's going to be painful. Like, just just get used to it. It's okay. And then once it happens, you need to be ready for how much possibility is going to open up in your life in terms of what you what you think, what you want to do, what you find valuable. You're not going to need to entertain yourselves nearly as much. Life is actually going to cost less, therefore, because you'll realize that the time is actually more worthwhile than the expense or the distance of the vacation, for example. Mm -hmm. So I think that one thing that we're looking at is that very tangibly, once you cut maybe one piece of tech and one block of scheduling out and you just leave them blank, you're going to be really shocked by what fills it up because you've never actually attempted. It's like you've been growing plants under artificial light and now you're like, there is the sun. Mm -hmm. And now you're planting plants outside and you're like, whoa, they grow so well just with the sun. Mm -hmm. But you've never tried it before. So it's going to be shocking. Yeah. 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 The other day we were were visiting my in-laws up in Canada Uh and it was usually we put the kids down at the same time. We got a three-year-old and a two-year-old. Yeah. And the two-year-old, we had a really good day. Like it was just one of the, he's, he sometimes, usually he's mom. Yeah. And this day he was just dad. Yeah. And so it was yeah. really great. Yeah. And so we laid down, uh, we went, he went to bed early cause he was just exhausted okay. and she was up doing some other stuff with the grandparents. So we went down and I just kind of laid down with him and I was just, you know, asking him about his day. And, uh, we don't normally get that just the two of us yeah, at the right. end of the day. And I was just shocked at, so we had gone to Niagara Falls okay. and he, I was like, so what do you think about the falls? And he recited exactly a conversation he had with my wife about the colors of the falls. So yeah. My wife's like, what colors do you see? And he's yeah. like, well, I see black and blue and green. Yeah. And he's, she's like, well, where do you see the colors? She's like, he's like, the green goes into the black. And so he's like reciting this verbatim to yeah, me right. yeah. there. And I'm just asking him about like, and it's just, it was amazing to watch how his mind's working yeah, as a two-year-old, right? right? Yeah, right. And the only the only way that conversation ever took place was just the open twenty minutes at the end of the day where the two of us are just laying there yeah. and there's nothing else to do. Yeah. And point being, you open that up and behold, you just find like this beautiful conversation where right. I'm like, I'm learning about my two-year-old son's processing. Right. That's going on in his mind. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kids are just mentally superior human beings. Yeah, right. They're smarter. They retain things better. They recite them better. They're just better. They're just better at being humans. Getting older is uh, is the fall into sin. I mean, I'm being facetious, but like, what does Chesterton say? He says, uh, (laughs) he says, we have sinned and grown old. Our Father in Heaven is younger than we. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, It's just right. Is that they have a certain? It's not just that they have a vitality, and that's that's true on like a bioenergetic level. They Mm -hmm. have a much greater vitality capacity to heal 
Mm -hmm. you know, is incredible. But also mentally, they are much more open, especially if you will let them be to what is given to their senses rather than to what their other priorities are, right? Kids get distracted and are obsessed with how they're bored and need to be entertained when you pull them into that very adult cycle of needing to be entertained. Mm -hmm. They don't start there, right? It's not natural that you are sort of petulant and demanding, right? That is induced by being taught to be petulant and demanding and then being satisfied by being entertained or having your demands met or whatever. Kids by nature can be curious about things that adults find boring because adults, their imagination shrinks. It atrophies, mm -hmm. you know, with lack of use. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, your son is your son is seeing things I would never see. Yeah. 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 It's the most like if you want if you want a good second use of the law, like if you want a good mirror <laughs> of like your own sinfulness, having kids does that so well. Because oh, yeah, there's so totally. many times where they're just they're young and they're pure mm -hmm. in their imagination and their daddy, come do this to me, come play, come play dog or yeah. you know, Paw Patrol or something like yeah. that. I just want to be puppies. Yeah. My goodness gracious, like I don't want to do that, you know, and I'm just, but then in the end, it's like, I'm the idiot. Like they're the ones that want to go have fun. And I want to sit here and like worry about my emails or something Correct. like that. Yeah, and it's right. like, they're living life. And yeah. once again, I'm being sucked into the trivial. And yes. It's like, right there's life. Like that's, that's what this is all about. That's right. why God said, let there be light was right. for that interaction right there. That's right. And they know it and they continually <laughs> want you to be there. And you continually are like, I don't want to. And that's what's wrong with me, you know? Yeah. I mean, the the disciples imagine that is like, basically they're saying like, Jesus's schedule is too busy. Don't bring the little children to him mm -hmm. because they're time wasters, allegedly. You also chosen? Uh, no, no. I, I really like it. it. It's kind of, I've yeah. heard, I've heard both takes. Yeah. I really like it, but there's one episode where it's, it's one of the rare episodes where there's, this one's not in the Bible at all. Yeah. And they're, they're open with like, they're, yeah. they're not trying to say like, well, we're going to do John two here. We're going to follow, you know, right. but there's one where it's just Jesus just interacting with kids. So he's yeah. got his little camp here and yeah, he's doing yeah. whatever he's doing in the, in the city. And this little girl kind of comes up and like sees him and he, he like interacts with her and just like a, a, they play it out perfectly. Yeah. And then like this kind of group of kids start like coming to him and he's kind of like teaching them and okay. interacting with them. Yeah. But, the very first interaction with her, like he just gets real goofy, you know, and just yeah. in like a very, in a very still respectful yeah. way. Yeah, but sure. it was just, but it yeah. was really, it was a good play on that. Um, yeah. Like let the little children come to me. Right. And it's, it's a really cool episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Are there other, I'm, I'm trying to think of, are there other concrete things that you're wondering about? Mm -hmm. We talked about the family. Do you think that's the main, if you want to change the world, yeah. save your marriage? If you wanted to save save the world, maintain your family. I mean, it seems like that's that's the primary place. I think that's true if you if you accept that it's not possible to isolate it from other fo forms of problems. Mm -hmm. It's not possible to isolate your family from the state because the state is interested in your family. Mm -hmm. It's not possible to isolate the health of your family from the health of the church because the church is largely composed of the families that form that church. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if you accept that you're not isolated, that you can't really flee and be alone, but that this center of gravity is the thing that God has given you primary responsibility for, yes. Other things relate to it deeply and may be detracting from it, but yes, your family is gonna be the center of most people's lives. Mm -hmm. Where that's the exception because you haven't formed a family in adulthood, then what you need to realize is that your time, especially that you have, can be a gift to those other realms, to other people's families, but also to your church or to your work or whatever other realm that you're operating in because you've been given more time than somebody who is raising little guys right mm -hmm. now, right? But that for everybody, that the primary thing you need to understand is that you're living your life in view of God's word and God's judgment on your family, on your church, on your whatever, rather than in view of the various opinions and judgments you might be catching from that device you haven't gotten rid of or from the busyness of the schedule, the persistence of distraction in your life, whatever other sources you're getting, here's what I should be doing. Nope, I should be doing this. Nope, I should be doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. What do you think? So, you know, kind of talking about that fear, like what do you fear more, God or yeah. know, the world? I'm thinking of, of our congregation setting and if someone's still listening, I don't know how far we are into this, but if, <laughs> if someone's still listening and they're coming at it from like a family perspective, yeah. one of the chief, I think, challenges are they might say, yes, like we need to do this. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, yeah. you know, hockey, baseball, football, and tennis, like right. we'll cut hockey out. Sure. You know, they might do something like yeah, that. Sure. Maybe if yeah. they do, God bless you. Yeah, like, right? like, yeah. like you said, it's not going right. to be easy. It will be worth it. Right. One of the chief challenges that they have is for the most part, their friend circles yep. are so entrenched in those, the worldly use of time, those worldly that's ambitions, right. yep. I was just gonna say. That, that's, that's I think the next step to where you can take that first step, but you're going to get hit on the chin with the fact that you're gonna now stand out from, and to some degree, maybe even be ostracized from the rest of your friend group that continues to maybe accrue more and more wealth and waste more and more time and just kind of keep going down this, like you're going to, find yourself drifting away. This is why the church talking about things actually occurring matters so much because that then gives the church the ability to start thinking, can we provide for families that have opted out of the public school system? Can we provide an opportunity to be together for families that have opted out of incessant travel sports? Mm -hmm. Because yeah, it's realistic to say for a lot of people, their life is whatever their job makes them do, and then whatever the travel club makes them do. And that's their whole life. And the fact that their family time is driving states away to various hockey tournaments is not something that overnight, they're probably gonna be like, yeah, I wanna give that up because the only time I talk to my kids is connected to <laughs> the enormous amount of money that I spend on travel hockey because that gives me a sense of purpose. The church can give you the same sense of purpose and a much closer feeling of togetherness and a reason for all of that, mm -hmm. that travel hockey is never gonna give you. And I'm not gonna charge you an entrance fee and then bench your kid most of the time, like happens with travel hockey. But if I don't talk about that, or if you don't know about that, then that doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times the church seeks program programmatic solutions to things that really like life change in almost anybody is going to be a combination of programmatic provision, right? Like the team practices here, we're at this rank, we're playing over here two weekends from now. There's programming to anything that people do in groups. But there's also a certain sense that the group is trying to help you do that to be in the programming. If what the church is providing is you come to church and then you leave. And when you're in church, we talk only about things that have no bearing on anything else. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to ask people to be part of that. Mm -hmm. If I'm providing some sort of depth from God's word about what is occurring and and, and what you're doing and what that really meant and why you regretted it or why you'll never regret it, that is much easier to ask people to be part of and to give other things up for. Because mm -hmm. we have to be clear, in order to be a Christian at this point, if you, you, know, you didn't get the message in a previous society, you're gonna be given up a lot. Mm -hmm. what, can the ch what kind of things should the church offer? Like for those kind of families, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, maybe op opportunities for people who opt out of public schools. Right, yeah. Programmatically, there, yeah, there are old things that we used to always do, like providing Lutheran education, whether mm -hmm. that's a school, a micro school, a home school, whatever, but providing Lutheran education for our families, primarily for our families, so that they can educate their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord as simply as possible. Mm -hmm. Because that's already a sacrifice in America because you will be asked to pay for public education. We all pay for public education. It mm -hmm. is our state church. We all pay for it even if we don't go, mm -hmm. okay? So there's already a sacrifice there. At least help them make that worthwhile, help that be excellent, help that be Lutheran, mm -hmm. okay? So that that's an old solution. Newer solutions involve we need to at various stages, whether people are coming into the church for the first time, or they're becoming parents for the first time, or they've been parents for a while, they want some refresher. They've been working for a while, they want some refresher, is to give them a better sense of what are called in a like 10,000 foot 
systematics kind of a view, the orders of creation, what would be called in catechism terms, the table of duties, is a sense of what do I do with all of this stuff in my life that isn't like going to ch the church service? Because mm -hmm. a lot of our instruction involves knowledge that's going to prepare you to take Holy Communion in the church service, and that's great. But if your catechism class doesn't teach people why time is God's or money is God's or how to relate to the people in their lives, then you're actually missing parts of the small catechism, mm -hmm. not to speak of challenges that they're already having that you could be addressing with the scriptures. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of our instruction needs to be oriented towards not only knowledge, but also practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. And anchoring it on time, I think, makes a lot of practical sense, yeah, too. Yeah. And it helps connect the different parts of life to the divine service so that the life then gets to center around church rather than just being a bunch of disconnected little nodes. Mm -hmm. What kind of spiritual practices do you do in your household that you find valuable? Both, yeah. both, both personal yeah. and then family unit. So personally, the biggest thing that was and and is transformative for me is reading the bible a bunch at one time mm. so i will sit down and read 20 chapters or i'll take two hours and read a whole book or something mm -hmm. a book of scripture that's transformative because it just gives you a completely different picture of everything when you do it all at once when you treat the bible more like netflix rather than treating the bible like it's TikTok, which is how most christians treat the bible when they use it they use little snippets and then they're gone, mm -hmm. which builds up some overall impression, but it's not terribly coherent. And it leaves most Christians then remain desperately ignorant of the Old Testament, which is what the New Testament uses as the basis for everything that's occurring. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not just in the sense that this happened in the past, but here are the patterns, here's how it works and so on and so forth. So I, I have very transformative for me personally has been doing a lot of the Bible all at once. For people that are not good readers or don't have opportunity to read a lot, I would say listen to a lot of the Bible all at once, which is very easy to do. Mm -hmm. Okay, 30 minute drive. And yeah, yeah. And that's also gonna give you a completely different perspective on things. Mm -hmm. And it's gonna show you that if you gave a fraction of the time to scripture that you give to movies and videos and whatever else, you are gonna have a completely different view of things, mm -hmm. yeah. For my family, this hasn't, this is transformative in a quiet way. We've always done it, is even before our kids were born, we do devotions every night, which at this point involves praying and then reading a chapter of the Bible. And then the kids just ask whatever questions they want about it. What it's built up in my kids that with, you know, some pride, maybe in a bad sense of the word, maybe in a good sense of the word, is that when we were in my first parish, uh, the kids went to a classical Christian school run by Presbyterians. Mm -hmm. And for the first time ever, a Lutheran kid won like the Bible knowledge competition. Yeah. And that was my son. Yeah. And, and he was beating other pastors' kids, just non-Lutheran pastors. So I was like, yeah, that's right. Lutherans should know the Bible better than anybody. Yeah. So what I like about that is that I, I'm a little bit competitive. Yeah. What I like about that is that it, it has built up in my kids a vast acquaintance with Scripture that doesn't start. I mean, I'm not, I'm not being terribly pedagogical about it. I don't, we don't read it and then I'm like, and do you remember who Abinoam is? You know, I just let it wash over them mostly, especially when they're littler. And then when they're older, they begin to ask questions. But just doing it regularly and always doing it is very powerful for the kids because it's set aside. It's like brushing your teeth. We just do it. Mm -hmm. You just always do it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything extra you do with your wife beyond those devotions? Um, no, not beyond those devotions. I would say that between her and me, what we do that is important and is not specifically like a scripture-centered practice is that I feel like we talk more about life than a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. we're, we're running less on autopilot than a lot of folks, and that keeps our minds focused on each other and together 
in a way that makes a solution of difficulties, which naturally arise not just between us, but in life, mm -hmm. that much easier because you're very familiar with the person. I don't have to, like this idea that somehow we're raising kids right now, so we don't really know each other and then we'll get to know each other again. I, I don't feel that at all. Mm -hmm. And that makes the solution of difficulties, resolution, finding something that, okay, this is how we're gonna move forward, so much easier. Yeah. Because it being together is a process of deepening mm -hmm. rather than kind of pulling apart and then trying to come back together. Yeah, it seems like parenting could do one, could take you down one of two paths. Like it could either make you drift apart <laughs> yeah. or it does, I think, make you draw closer. Because right. all the times we'll be, you know, we're, we're, our kids are still, I mean, I guess you would do this always, yeah. but yeah. you're just problem solving. Like, what do you do with this? <laughs> and like, why did, why did I react this way? Or right. why did you react this yeah, way? Right. And as you do those things, you start to like, we learn about each other's childhoods or about <laughs> our own parents yeah, right. as we kind of dialogue and problem solve about our parenting. Right. And in that, like, you're just, I feel like we're always, I'm psychoanalyzing my wife and vice versa. <laughs> and we're just re learning and reflecting it. Oh, that's why I react that way to yeah. my son when he does this, yeah. you know, and it's just, so you do, as you say, you learn about the other person, not about just like speaking to them, but yeah. about working with them as you work through and problem solve about family and everything else. And it's easy with the kids because the kids seem to have like almost nothing inside of them that isn't inside one of us. Yeah. It's just the question is always like, like what elements were used to for this particular child and this particular characteristic, but it's always somewhere. So the mystery of that deepens in the sense that it's like, wow, they really are, the kids are the one flesh. Mm -hmm. That mystery deepens, Yeah, but where it comes from is not at all mysterious anymore. Yeah. There are enough kids, it's like, yeah, I've seen this before. I've also probably seen it in myself, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And that's why I get so upset. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> My so, one, uh, I really yeah. wanted a daughter. Yeah. And we've, we've had both yeah. now and um, hopefully I have some more, but I really wanted a daughter, but I really wanted a son. I told my wife, yeah. this, I'm like, I want you to have a son because she had one sister. Yeah. And like early on in marriage, I'm like, I want you, us to have a son so you can understand <laughs> some of the, because she'd look at me sometimes and she'd be like, what the heck? Yeah, right, <laughs> You right, know, right, like what's yeah. going on? Right, right. As she's running into the masculine. Yes. Right. And now that we've had a son, yeah. you know, everything makes so much more sense for her because she'll, <laughs> she looks, she's like, oh, this is what you were like as a kid. Yeah, and this is, right. so like the line, the dots start to connect. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No question. Hmm. <laughs> so what else would you like our listeners to know? Is there anything that you think is, is important to put before them? Yeah. I think that something we have not talked about, but maybe is a, is a good place to end because it's the opposite of being secular, mm -hmm. is that we have underestimated, but saints have devoted their entire lives to in the past. Simeon and Anna do this, and maybe we think that they're silly for having done so, is they have devoted themselves to prayer. And I basically have to plead and pull my hair out and it feels like pulling teeth to get myself to pray regularly. Mm -hmm. Now that's my own weakness, not to speak of other people. That has fundamentally to do with a certain understanding of time that regarding time, I don't really need to pray because I need to be active. And we don't see prayer as an acknowledgement of the ascension of Christ, of the reign of Christ, of the high priest we're talking to, of his power to affect anything for which we ask. So what I started doing rather than being, for instance, frustrated with the increasingly low percentage of Americans who go to church at all or have any identifiable Christian beliefs, which is an even lower percentage than the number who go to church. There's always like these disappointing surveys like 50% of evangelicals are fine with legalized abortion. I'm like, oh, you know? I, think, I think in the LCMS it's 43. It's so bad. Yeah. It's so bad. Lord like obviously mercy. something is so not working, is so horrible. We haven't talked about it. We don't know what's going on. It's horrible, right? And I just started turning those very specific concerns into prayer. So you could say, Lord Jesus Christ, 
I ask that the 43% of Missouri Senate Lutherans who think legalized child murder is fine, that all of their hearts be changed tomorrow. Just go for it. What What's it going to hurt? Mm-hmm. So I started doing that with the country, and I said, I want you to turn the hearts of my family and of all my countrymen across the United States that they would be given a clear knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior. Why not? What's it going to hurt? I mean, he can do whatever he wants with that. He can be like, you're an idiot, Koontz. Like, I hate, you know, <laughs> you're just as dumb as you always were. It's fine, you know? And I'd be like, okay, thank you, you know? Or he, he could he could, he could, could do some or all of what I ask. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I just ask him. Mm-hmm. And that partly has to do with the use of time, but it partly also has to do with a certain audacity in prayer, which is really the... In prayer, it's the same thing as that boldness of speech that we should have with other people. Is it, why don't you just say it? Mm-hmm. Why don't you just ask? You know, are you are you so important that you being a little bit wrong is more important than actually just asking the Father for it? So I think that one one place to start with reclaiming for Christ those souls, that time, those lives that are his, that he's won by his blood, is by beginning with prayer, right? Mm-hmm. And also ending with prayer. And so I think something something that has been, I suppose, specifically transformative in that regard is learning to pray the whole range of the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Because I found that any other rhythm was too limiting and that I needed to just do 15 Psalms at once out loud in my office like a psycho, you know, in order to capture the range of the things that are both on the heart, but also unexpressed, perhaps unknown. It's all sitting there, Mm -hmm. you know? And so just, just use that and just try that. Do one Psalm if you want to just do it over and over again, whatever suits you. But, but to start to use those things, because I think, Secularization, if it's increasing distance from affirmation and practice of Christianity, can only be reversed through just saying things that might at this point sound sort of crazy, Mm -hmm. like, I trust in you, Jesus, and you are going to change the future, and it's going to be glorious. Mm. That's great. Yeah. Have you noticed changes from that? Uh, All kinds. Yeah. All kinds. Like... In myself, it makes you so much less cynical. Mm -hmm. You do become more childlike the more you pray. You're kind of like more simple-hearted, you know? You're not asking so much from other people, and you're happier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Real quick, I'll just piggyback off that with one, because I've got the same struggles where you you look back at your week and go, man, I've not done a good job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One thing I've tried to adopt, and I got this from the Brothers Karamazov, actually. It's like kind of a throwaway in there. Yeah. There's a lot of good throwaways in there, but I try to, if I'm like in a grocery store or on a bus or I've, I've flown a lot recently, so like mm-hmm. an airport, yeah, try to put the phone down mm-hmm. and just look around and then just like pray for people. And you don't know what to pray for, but just to raise right. them up. And at that point, that's your, at some degree, that's your job. God's put you in that situation. Yeah. And one of the lines that struck me in the Brothers Karamazov is, I think it's uh, the Father Asima says, you might be the only person that ever intercedes for that person. You might be the only oh, person. Oh, 100%, 100%. I mean, how true is that today? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, people don't care about each other. Yeah. They don't know each other, mm-hmm. you know? 100%. You might be the only person who cares, and you don't even care that much, but guess what? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right? So, yeah, I think you become more simple-hearted. You become less cynical. I think you also begin to look at people in the right light. Mm-hmm. That is, you begin to look at them in the light of eternity, in the light of Christ's work on their behalf, in the light of that they are human flesh and blood like you are, and so subject to the same weaknesses. I mean, I think it's important when Paul says in Hebrews that part of the function of the high priest is that he is able to sympathize. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you begin to see other human beings as in need of Christ's redemption instead of inconveniences, distractions, obstacles, whatever. Yeah. And prayer does that to you in a very noteworthy way because it begins to take everything you're thinking, you're feeling, whatever, and put it in light of the fact that God is going to handle it. Mm -hmm. And then it's done. It's up to him. And it's going to be the best. Yeah. 
Yeah. Adam, thanks. Yeah. Thank thanks you for so sitting. much. Thanks for talking. Yeah. Um, if anyone wanted to learn more from you, they could go to the pastor's conference. Yeah. Well, or maybe they couldn't actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they could find you in a lot of different areas. Yeah. Where where could they go? Where would you would you direct them towards? I would website? just Google a brief history of power. That's mm-hmm. the podcast I do every week, twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. And Is that you, on most formats, YouTube? That's pretty much, you know, wherever you get your podcast type of a deal. Yeah. Okay. And then we'll, it, we'll put a link in the description yeah, as well. Yeah, that'll work. And if you Google me, there aren't that many people in the world named Adam Kuntz, K-O-O-O-N-T-Z. So if you look for me on YouTube or whatever, you'll get courses on preaching, New Testament, lots of different things that I've done that people have recorded. So they can they can check that out and then realize it's junk and move on to something else. But yeah, if you <laughs> cat just- Cat videos. Yeah, cat videos, whatever. If you just Google my name, you'll, you'll, probably, find, you'll probably find plenty of stuff. Perfect, yeah. yeah. And we'll definitely have you back on the podcast. Awesome. That'd be great. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, Adam, God bless. Cheers.